Hi everyone, I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Pierre Pouget and Dr. Serge Picot, who recently joined us for a webinar to provide an overview of functional ultrasound imaging and how it can be used to study the brain in behaving non-human primates. Let's get right into it. What are the respective advantages of electrophysiology, functional ultrasound, and fMRI? Well, I mean, the, the, the way I see it is, of course, uh, the, the gold standard is to you know, record the neuronal activity. I mean, to exactly know what the neurons are doing. But um, sometimes it's difficult to define the region of interest. So I think FUS is, to, being, to me, is a, a great advantage to localize where the electrode could be inserted and lose more time. And, and it's much more precise than fMRI. I mean, you, you can have a couple of uh, thousand or hundred of microns of precision. So that's first. I, I could see that as an in-between methodology between, uh, you know, the two, the coarse response of fMRI and the electrophysiology. The second, I will try to be brief, but the second is uh, it's also a nice method to do uh, an exchange with what uh, is observed in human because uh, monkey fMRI, of course, it's feasible, but it's uh, it's a lot of complicated time to train the monkeys and, 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 and combining with electrophysiology. I mean, uh, you can do it sequentially, but uh, it's complex. And but uh, and the last uh, thing, and that's what we are currently uh, doing in the lab, is we can also uh, start to answer or at least study some of the question about what what is the relationship between these two signals. I mean, is there some sometimes some differences, some discrepancy uh, between uh, local and, and and more uh, fine signal recorded in the neuron. I mean, are they always correlated? I mean, are they stable over time uh, of a session, uh, for example? And 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 what is the cross trial variability between this signal? I mean, this is a sort of question I think that is really could really really be a nice at least study uh, using a combination of these methods. So yeah, yeah, that's a really great point. Uh, and Serge, I'll pass things off to you. In your experience, what do you think are the, you know, the advantages of electrophysiology, functional ultrasound, and fMRI? I think with uh, electrophysiology, everybody agrees that uh, you have a high temporal resolution that you cannot get with the functional ultrasound. Although you can measure the latency between different areas of how the the, the activity is arriving in different uh, areas. But you will never have such a precise temporal resolution as electrophysiology. But the greatest advantage is finally that what we saw, and I was very surprised, was that we, we have a high resolution with functional tracing imaging. And so it was possible to see all the areas that were activated in the activated zone. And so with this, I mean, it's all, even in when we activated the visual cortex and watched to the LGN, I mean, although we had very few neurons that were activated, I mean, with FUSE, we had very reproducible results to find out the activity. And it was much more difficult to be in the correct position with the electrode to find out some activities. So I think... It's uh, by having a very macroscopic view, 
but very uh, sensitive view uh, using FUS. I mean, it's much more, it's much faster to demonstrate the activation of the area. It's much more simple to have the, the probe on the brain rather than having the, the electrodes crossing the brain. So I think it's a, a great advantage because it's much faster to demonstrate activation of the area. Yeah, great answer. Another question here. So uh, functional ultrasound has obviously changed quite a bit in the last few years. How has your experience using it changed your view on functional ultrasound? Maybe Serge, I'll get you to lead that one. At the beginning, I thought that functional ultrasound imaging would be not highly sensitive. And I thought you would need high activation of an area in order to detect its activity. But I was really surprised when, in fact, having done this uh, work on uh, both uh, with uh, the retinal prosthesis and optogenetic therapy, showing that, in fact, we had the same threshold of activity to, to detect the, the activation of the, the tissue of the circuit. So especially, I mean, to show uh, when we were activating, for instance, the visual cortex with optogenetic, that in fact, we needed the same amount of light in order to induce really activity in the visual cortex with both FUS and electrophysiology. But I think this really demonstrated that we had a high sensitivity of the FUS and this I was not expecting that measuring blood flow would be as sensitive than uh, what, what we'd seen. Fantastic, great answer. All right, moving on to the next question. What EEG frequency bands are most correlated with the FUS readout? Pierre, maybe you can lead this one. Well, uh, thank you, Sarah. Uh, so maybe uh, we will have to wait for the paper. No, I'm joking. But so this is something we are uh, currently finalizing the, uh, clearly. So if you are talking about EEG, we do not record EEG at the moment. So we record the local feed potential. I guess it will be really interesting in primate clearly to record the EEG and FUS simultaneously. Yeah. So that that that, that will be that will be next. I mean, we 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 have done ELFP. There is a clear difference from uh, a stronger uh, correlation between some frequency in some frequency band that are do not seem I should be cautious because we are finalizing the the analysis now comparing to fMRI. But uh, as far as EEG, we do we did not record uh, this uh, signal yet. So well, I mean, yeah, I mean, if someone wants to to come and and do it, uh, you're very welcome. Fantastic. So this sort of leads to the next question. Does the FUS signal correlate better with spikes or for local field potentials? You're saying you were looking at local field potentials. Is it because they, they correlate better or uh, what's your Okay, so, <laughs> so now you're trying to scoop uh, the article, so I could not publish it at all because everybody will know. But well, to make the story short, it depends. So first is we see a strong correlation between FUS and SPI because we have higher resolution than fMRI, at least that's my interpretation. So compared to what I've been shown is I think we could say that a spike actually single unit uh, correlate with uh, FUS, but not in a large region of interest, of course. So it's very close to the tip of the electrode. 
And the second point is that it may be not constant. So it could vary during a session, during the trial. So the contribution on Spiket and LFP may vary during that, the, the course of the trial. So I hope that's answer to your question. But uh, we can exchange by email if you, because the archive is not out yet. So yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, great answer. Serge, uh, we'll direct the next question to you. So these measurements of, of vision are coarse and poorly correlated to fine vision, but what do you think the functional ultrasound signal would look like for finer, finer stimuli, like with higher spatial frequencies? And do you think you can measure visual acuity cutoffs using this method? Well, this we haven't yet done, and uh, it's clear that we will move on to more precise measurements. I mean, this was the first study, and we just wanted to see whether we were able to do any measurements. And really, and but this is our next step. We need to move into this type of uh, measurements. Fantastic, yeah. All right, next question, Sales, will also direct to you. So thanks a lot to both speakers. Very nice presentations. Do you have any idea about the minimal stimulation duration? So, Sasha, I know you talked about using a stimulus of 0.5 seconds and 2 seconds, but did you use anything shorter than that? And do you have any experiences to share? Well, when, when we stimulated with the, either optogenetic and, uh, and also uh, with retinal prosthesis, it was shorter time than, uh, than this in order to induce response. So I think it, depending on the stimulation that we are using, I mean, we don't need to have a so long stimulation of the circuit. Fantastic. All right, here's another question. So do you think it would be possible to do this kind of recording at some point with intact scalp? Pierre, maybe you can leave this one. I hope so. That's why I asked Miguel and he could use to improve their, their, their sequence. Possibly. So I guess this is more a question for the physician, but yes, it might be possible at some point to correct for uh, skull distortion using some lens and, and other, I mean, I'm not a, a specialist uh, of ultrasound, but uh, my view is that it might be possible. Uh, and, and there is other option also we, 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 uh, we are trying at the moment is to use some um, contrast as contrast signals so inject some uh, echographic uh, contrast agent to increase the signal to noise and see whether the, the we can get some signal from with the intact skull this is really too preliminary to say that we could do it but uh, yeah i mean we i guess uh, i'm always uh, happy to work on that uh, of course to try to get the data from the intact skull mm -hmm. yeah definitely an exciting avenue moving forward if possible all right, here's an interesting question. So how is the animal's non-local blood flow changes, like blood pressure and overall fl flow rate, how are those related to body movements reflected in the, the functional ultrasound signal? So in, in optical wild wide field calcium imaging in mice, the animal's body movements can induce a robust blood flow change in the cortex, which can, which can result in, a, in false signal changes in optical imaging. So yeah, uh, I guess the question is, how is the animal's non-local blood flow changes related to body movements and how do those show up in the functional ultrasound signal? Pierre, can you lead that one? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, thanks, Kate, for, for your question. So I guess this is when the, the question was asked is what I was surprised the most. The first was the signal-to-noise ratio and the second one was the way we can deal with some times body movement. I mean, there are macaques. I mean, there are big guys, so they can shake the, the chair. But uh, we 
when it's happened, we can clearly uh, correct for it in some uh, signal processing. But this is very uncommon. I mean, this is no, we clearly just exclude uh, when there is a short shaking or short movement of the body of the animal. And so we can deal with that, even the, 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 the pulsatility, because we remove the skull, but uh, but we keep the, the conjunctive tissue. So, of course, the, 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 the dura is there, and the conjunctive tissue could be kept, which, for me, at least that's my interpretation, allow us to remove uh, reduce a lot this, this movement, because the uh, pulsatility is very reduced, and, and the probe is even, you know, pushing a little bit on the tissue for the electrophysiologists that uh, are in the audience. So it's, it's helped to, 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 to reduce the, the movement. The body movement, we do have some, sometimes some body movement, but because the signal to noise ratio is so high, we can, whether we just remove the, the trial, uh, because, uh, or, or we can easily correct for it. So, yeah, I know it's, it's, it sounds, uh, for me, it was a big surprise, but, uh, comparing to, uh, optical, uh, optical imaging, it's just fine. So, and, and yeah, I mean, and, and again, I mean, uh, I would be very happy to share, uh, uh, movies and, 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 and data if you, if you're really interested and, and, and look, uh, uh, by yourself. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Great answer. All right, next question here. How do you envision the clinical translation of these techniques? So, Selsh, I know you took, talked a bit about work in humans, but more on the optogenetic therapy. Maybe you can lead this question. Well, clinically, uh, functional ultrasound has already been used in infants through the fontanelle, and it could also be used uh, during surgeries, brain surgeries, because in this case where you try to locate the, the part of the brain to, to remove. Uh, you could maybe use uh, functional ultrasound because usually the techniques that are used are mostly uh, superficial uh, ECOG or some electrodes, penetrating electrodes. But I guess it would be a way to have a, a view of the whole uh, brain or whole structure. So I think it could be quite useful. I think for infants, it could be also a nice way because you can repeat the movements as many times as you want. And it's much easier than uh, MRI, so and much more precise. So I think uh, there's great avenues for this technology in, uh, in clinics, but only for, for patients where you have removed the, the skull. There are also some uh, sonolucent uh, materials that could be used. Fantastic. Yeah, great answer. Uh, there was a question about uh, how early in development can functional ultrasound be used? Would it be appropriate at early postnatal time points? But I guess you addressed that one in the same shot too, so that's great. Selsh, do you have any data showing layer-specific activation differences using functional ultrasound imaging in the V1 or elsewhere? When we measured the activity, I mean... Uh, the ocular dominance column, we could see, we could define the layers and show that we had really uh, activity in uh, in some layers and not in the other layers. Like the, the activity was from layer 2 to layer 5, and it was clear that we could see it. But uh, other than that, we haven't tried to really make some uh, specific layer activity. Yeah, fantastic. Great answer. We'll make this next question the last one. 
again, we don't mean to try to get the uh, scoop from you, but maybe we can end by just giving a brief summary of what are the next steps for the Puget and Pico lab. Will you merge optogenetics with functional ultrasound and non-human primates, or what do you think is the next step, uh, Pierre? Maybe we can start with you. Yeah, so maybe uh, with uh, with this answer, I will try to answer some of the Jeff question at the same time. So uh, I guess for me, one of the question will be to um, examine the spatial resolution we can get, for example, in functional resolution, such as variability of uh, latency, saccade position in front eye field and, and supplementary eye field, even the spatial representation of, for example, mo- uh, saccade control in, in supplementary eye field, not putting the the probe in coronal view, but in sagittal view to cover, you know, the a more rostral caudal uh, representation in supplementary I feel. For the comparison with BOLD, uh, we do not plan to do that, not even simultaneously or on the same animal, but uh, we probably, or actually we do already uh, start to compare uh, some responses between labs in Lyon. So comparing with Sugan Benamet to compare, for example, some physiological response we observe in uh, or two monkeys or two 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 type of behavior uh, that uh, respond similarly and so we have the fuse data uh, she had the uh, fMRI data and we can compare it's not completely satisfactory but it's it will be a first uh, first step at least on, on our, our side fantastic thanks Pierre and Serge what about you what's your next steps our next step is really to see how objects are represented in the visual cortex because this is what we want to do for visual restoration is to try to to define how to stimulate the visual cortex in order for a blind patient to see. So we would love to use this technology really to define how the, the, the objects are represented in the visual cortex. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.